Good morning. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and on the NSN app. And I'm pleased to have as our guest this morning, uh, Nick Langworthy, the chairman of the New York State Republican Party and a resident of upstate uh, Buffalo, New York, as well as an avid Bills fan, uh, as first and foremost, we got to talk about the fact that the Buffalo Bills are having the best New York sports story of 2020, which has not been a great sports year all around, but uh, or has been. But the Bills are now the shining light of that. So before we get into politics, uh, Chairman Langworthy, let's let's talk for a second about football. Well, it is exciting here. It's exciting to be a Bills fan, which I can't say that I've gotten to say too many times in the last decade. Uh, you know, I, I had season tickets for about 12 years, and those were 12 of the worst football seasons I can ever remember. But the Bills have their best record since 1991. Uh, I feel strongly that they can win out. Um, and uh, we're smelling a Super Bowl here in, in, in Buffalo. And, and I think this is, again, I have to set the record straight. I know there's a lot of Jets and Giants fans. Are there any Jets fans out there anymore? I mean, I, I, I you know, I'm just, just saying. You, you can't recognize it because they got bags over their head. But what this is New York's only football team. This is the only team that plays in the state of New York. And uh, we will welcome everyone to be honorary Bills fans for the rest of the season. Okay. Any chance, I mean, I know it's not looking good, but if you know the Bills get there and into the playoffs, any chance we're going to see any fans in stands? Well, it's funny you, you bring that up. Actually, one time when I was on the phone with Andrew Cuomo, I, I took that opportunity to bring the topic of fans coming back to Bills Stadium up. And he said he didn't see a path forward for that. Uh. Now, that was two months ago. Unfortunately, our numbers aren't in the right direction here in western New York. We actually uh, are at high points for the entire pandemic. Um, so I don't think there's any way this governor is going to allow our fans to visit uh, Bill Stadium for uh, the last games of the season or playoff runs. But uh, ratings are at an all-time high. There's uh, There's – this this optimism we need desperately, and and we have it, and we're we're excited about uh, a deep run. Okay, well, let's switch gears for a second. Wear your other hat, which is uh, chairman of the New York State Republican Party. Election twenty twenty is now in the bag. Aside from one race, uh, strangely enough, the people out there might not realize that not all. Uh, elections have been called, and I'm talking about New York 22, one congressional race in central New York is still going on. Uh, so, Chairman, tell us for a second about what's going on there. That's between Claudia Tenney, the challenger, who once was once a congresswoman, and Anthony Berdisi, who is the current congressman. Uh, this is a rematch uh, from 2018, and it's still going on. Too close to call at this point. Well, it is still going on. And I, you know, our entire staff, I think, at the New York Republican Party is somewhere between Utica and Binghamton right now. Uh, you know, this this rural district, uh, which is a Republican district, it's a Donald Trump district. Uh, Claudia Tenney was elected in 2016 along with President Trump. She was defeated in the blue wave of, of 2018. She's making the comeback um, on election night, you know, like many candidates. She was way up. She was 28,000 votes in the lead. 
Um, because of this uh, wicked expansion of mail-in voting, she finds herself now up 13 votes in this election, from 28,000 to 13. Uh, this is this is putting on display everything that's wrong with the expansion of mail-in voting without proper capacity, without proper training, without proper staffing. Uh, and we have seen, um, you know, that process because of the mass amount of mail-in vote has been botched by uh, boards of elections. And we have eight counties within the district and we have um, eight different standards by which the ballots have been considered. Uh, these are these are this is a very difficult election. Some of the election experts we've brought into this have said this is kind of the biggest mess they've ever seen at the congressional level. Uh, so we are uh, working day and night to not let Nancy Pelosi bring her minions in to steal this election. Claudia Tenney has won, and we have to bring that home. So let's discuss this for a second. For those of you listening at home who are not political professionals who are not sitting there and trying to understand what we're what we're discussing here as far as different standards for counting ballots. I know a lot of people have been obsessed with the counting in different states. Uh, we've been obsessed with Arizona, with Pennsylvania, you know, specifically different cities, and particularly Georgia has been in the news with regard to counting and recounting. And some of those margins are, I mean, they, they absolutely uh, are, are huge compared to this one. I mean, this is literally... Uh, we're talking about double digits, uh, low double digits of votes. Okay. I mean, at one point it was 12 one way, it was 70 the other way. Now it's 13. I mean, but the absurdity of the idea here that we can't in the United States of America in 2020, with all the technology and all the resources that we have at our disposal and all the intelligence, I should say, of most public servants, that we can't go ahead and count votes in a normal way that it's going to take, it's taking, what we have, six weeks already uh, at this point, uh, past election day, and it's not likely to even be decided before the end of the month at this point. Uh, And this is not because of, I mean, this is just due essentially to human error or to bad judgment. Uh, um, How much, I guess there's so many questions for you there, Chairman, as far as what What's the issue here? Like, why can't people just say, okay, here's a vote. Let's count it. Here's a vote. Don't count it. You know, how does it, how does this work? What, what we're down to now is affidavit ballots. So these are ballots where the elections officials decided they weren't in the book. They weren't showing up as registered voters in good standing, uh, but they were allowed to fill out a provisional ab- affidavit ballot um, in some counties, it was handled better than others. I mean, in some counties, we're talking about 13 ballots. In Oneida County, we're talking about 1,000 plus. Um, you know, it's a different standard, different staffing, different commissioners in each and every one of these counties. Um, I think really what you have here is, um, you know, crying out for better standards, um, you know, more forward planning. You know, the the expansion of the mail-in vote, you know, it it put burdens on these boards of elections that have never been seen before. In these rural counties, I mean, outside of your big metropolitan counties in in a state like New York, these staffs are tiny. You know, in some of these counties, 
you may have a total of four staff members at the Board of Elections. And they're supposed to handle quintuple the amount of absentee ballots that have ever been processed. It's not a system built for a mail-in voting process. And you can't just bring and, people in from the outside and say, okay, we'll have temporary workers come in to do this. I mean, right? I, these are small rural communities. There aren't people sitting there on the sidelines waiting to come to work as a day laborer. Uh, in terms of the staff, there's not enough people there to train the workers. So this is why so many of us objected to the expansion of uh, mail-in ballots, because you don't change your election systems on the fly. I mean, we saw the disaster that existed in June for the primary, even the city board of elections, which is staffed better than any other board of elections. I mean, what was it, Brooklyn, 25% of the votes got canceled because they failed to get a a proper postmark or a timely postmark. Um, You've seen similar problems upstate. These uh, are overburdened workers. They're they're good people with good intentions, but they don't have enough hours in a day. They're exhausted. They, uh, you know, I, I was told by one elections commissioner upstate that he and his staff worked six straight weeks, seven days a week without a a day off. Uh, You're going to get errors. And uh, you have a lack of sophistication and standard that existed in terms of how these affidavits were cataloged, how the objections were logged. And that's the heart of a lot of the consternation on these ballots. You know, what we can't see here is Nancy Pelosi, because she controls the House of Representatives, swoop in to try to get the House Administration Committee to seat a member of Congress, not based on the voter will in New York 22, but based on the fact that she controls the House Administration Committee by a 6-3 margin. Uh, We will be fighting day and night to prevent that from happening. Uh, Claudia Tenney has uh, led this race the whole way from Election Day to today. Uh, she's, She's up 13 votes. No matter how many pockets of uh, ballots were found uh, and not counted. She is the leader. Uh, we believe these results should be certified. We think she'll continue to be the leader um, after these affidavits are considered. Uh, and, and my hope is this comes to as swift a conclusion as possible, as quickly as possible. Um, and so we can get on with the business of, of the country because uh, I believe the you know overly Republican electorate has elected Claudia Tenney to go to Congress to represent them. And she will be part of a Republican, uh, very strong Republican minority. I mean, some people thought Republicans would lose up to 15 seats in the House. Uh, this, this, this minority is very large. Uh, Pelosi's grip on the gavel is tenuous. Uh, and it sets the table very nicely for Republicans to make the comeback and win back the House of Representatives in 2022. Right. Yeah. Well, midterms are always uh, go against the party in power. And that would be and this. This is a very interesting uh, dynamic that we that we've seen, certainly as the chairman, as you, as you pointed out, against the conventional wisdom that uh, there was going to be this huge blue wave uh, that certainly did not transpire. Republicans picked up seats in very, uh, in very interesting swing districts, uh, not just uh, potentially in New York 22. I don't want to call the race prematurely. I'm happy if uh, I would agree that's, you know, she's in the lead and there's tons of irregularities out there. Uh, and I think the audience out there would, would 
want to know that some of this can even happen here in New York. It's not just a foreign thing happening in foreign states. But we've had some swing districts like in New York 11 uh, and uh, and New York. Yeah. And New York, too, which was supposed to be a loss on our part. And even people were predicting that Lee Zeldin was going to lose in, in the first district in New York. So some of these suburban districts were supposed to be the death knell of Republicans. And it seems that even John Katko upstate. So talk for a second about our congressional delegation uh, here in New York. We, we held every incumbent uh, congressman, you know, Congressman Reed, Congresswoman Stefanik, uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin, who is just a gold standard. Uh, and uh, I'm very proud to call him a friend. Um, congressman Jacobs, uh, our new member of Congress from the Buffalo, uh, Rochester area. Uh, all those members were, were reelected. Uh, we were able to expand our delegation um, you know, one through holding Pete King's uh, seat. A lot of people said when Pete King retired, uh, I remember vividly last uh, last year at the end of November, I was with my family in Disney when I got that call and my stomach just, the pit of my stomach fell out uh, hearing Pete King was going to retire because that was a tough seat. But we- uh, And attracted a lot of money. Pete, that seat. A lot of money. And, and despite an extraordinary amount of outside group spending, uh, trying to bring that over to the Democrats, uh, we now have Congressman uh, elect Andrew Garbarino, who will be going to represent Nassau and Suffolk County in, in the House of Representatives. He's a distinguished uh, assembly member, uh, has been a friend of mine for years. I'm very excited for uh, Andrew and uh, I think he's going to be a great addition to to our you know Long Island political scene, but to our whole state delegation as well. And he'll carry on that tradition of Pete King, uh, and those are huge shoes to fill. But Andrew is the right guy to do it. Uh, if, if and also, you know, the the point of real pride is uh, winning New York eleven, and Nicole Maliotakis um, going. Uh, to Congress, also someone that's served uh, uh, with great distinction in the state assembly, but she uh, going to bring a Republican voice, a young uh, person's perspective, you know, as, as a young leader in the Republican Party and in government uh, to go and represent Staten Island and Brooklyn and restoring Republican representation at the federal level from the five boroughs, I think was a duty that the party had. Uh, Nicole ran a great race. Uh, and you know, if call it a referendum on defund the police, it's whatever you want to call it. Nicole is going to be a leader for years to come. She's done a tremendous job getting here to this moment. Uh, and, uh, it, it's, it's funny, uh, Michael, you were with me in Israel right after I was elected and, uh, we traveled, uh, with, uh, Claudia Tenney and Nicole Maliotakis on that trip, uh, with Dr. Joe Frager and Hove Zion to, to Israel. Um, and now they're both, I believe, going to be members of Congress. It's, it's, uh, it really comes full circle. Well, yeah, th- those trips are so important, particularly for any elected officials. And it's always good to get them, you know, well, Claudia Tenney was, had been in Congress already, but to get them uh, even before they are um, talking about the, uh, or in a position to deal with foreign policy in the Congress uh, to, to orient them towards uh, a, a, a 
a, a good view of the state of Israel, the U.S.-Israel relationship, I think those trips are so, so important. Um, and it's great that, you know, Chairman did that as one of his first acts of after getting elected as chairman. Um, but what's, you know, look, we take, we take all these good things and there's a, and there was, um, there's some areas that we fell short. I mean, the party fell short, uh, this, uh, that's particularly with regard to the state Senate. And I think that, you know, it's interesting holding and having success at the congressional level and some of these overlapping districts, uh, a, a number of state Senate Republican state Senate candidates fell short, even in the same places. And, uh, you know, what, what is that? What do you attribute that to? Is that a, is that a function of money, function of issues, function of people not getting, giving the same attention to some of the, um, to some of the, um, uh, some of the races or not, maybe not voting or skipping those races altogether. Um, where, where, why did you, why did we see, uh, Democrats have success in, state Senate races where they didn't have success in those congressional races in some of the same areas? Well, obviously the same amount of money was not invested um, in the state Senate as it is the U.S. Congress. I mean, the the unfortunate state of affairs we have nationwide is, you know, billionaires get to play chess with the Congress. And, you know, we certainly have outside groups that invest mightily and, 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 God bless them for doing so. Uh, but they also, there's just piles of money on the other side of the aisle to the extreme left. You know, the act blue uh, wave that we saw in 2018 that put tens of millions of dollars on certain members of Congress heads. Um, it, it is our only way to combat that in, in having, you know, extremists that are funding uh, takeovers of the Congress uh, to combat it. So, you know, when you see a race like Garbarino's, well, he may have raised, you know, a million dollars through traditional means in a, in, in a pandemic-stricken campaign year, which is a big haul. Big haul. But least, I, I'm sure, you know, somewhere around $8 million collectively was invested in the race between the NRCC, the state party, the, uh, you know, the Congressional Leadership Fund, CLF. I mean, these are, um, there's not a subsequent element of that for the state Senate. We've had some very generous people step forward patriotically, like Ron Lauder, uh, who I can't say enough uh, wonderful things about. Ron uh, invested mightily in uh, trying to help us bring sanity to the state Senate. Uh, after he saw what happened with the disastrous bail reform, uh, which has created a revolving door criminal justice policy here in New York. Uh, but people like he had stepped forward and, and, and some of our friends in real estate to try to bring some common sense there. Unfortunately, just it wasn't enough at the end of the day. The special interests outspent uh, New York Republicans in state Senate races, you know, somewhere to nine to one. Nine to one. Wow. Um, wow. And... Uh, you, you see that, um, you know, that, that doesn't come without strings attached. They're, they're going to expect their votes for, you know, what Carl Hastie's already calling for, an increase in taxes right. before the end of the year. There's no other way that they can paper over a $16 billion deficit, $7 billion which existed before any of us even knew the word COVID-19. And, uh, 
the only thing they understand is higher taxes. They don't understand any sort of spending cuts or common sense reforms, a reimagination of New York state government. And this is going to expedite, you know, this one party control is going to expedite what um, many of us have said is happening, you know, and the pandemic has, has brought it to the forefront, which is the flight of our citizens, the flight of our taxpayers. That is going on every single day. Uh, it was where I live in Buffalo and in, in the upstate narrative that's always existed is we've all had to say goodbye to our friends and our loved ones that have, you know, as I just sat and filled out Christmas cards uh, to friends in Florida and North Carolina and all sorts of other points around the country. They left because they needed to go leave to find jobs and to start their family and uh, their family's life in, in maybe a place that had more freedom or more opportunity. This is now a problem for the suburbs of New York City. And it's certainly a problem for the five boroughs, uh, you know, the hollowing out of Manhattan because of the virus. It, it may not come back. And some of the major financial firms are looking at relocating. I mean, Goldman Sachs looking to go to potentially moving asset management to Florida, Paul Singer and other uh, hedge fund uh, uh, barons are also looking to relocate to Florida. And that uh, if people can work anywhere, they don't need to be in Manhattan. Um, and that's, uh, you know, a, a, the interesting thing is, of course, de Blasio doesn't seem to have any, uh, I mean, this is actually a topic I wanted to get to with you is that because talking about 2021 and the New York City mayoral race, mayoral race being the marquee race of, of that cycle here in New York. Um, I mean, de Blasio, I mean, even Max Rose called him the worst mayor in the history of New York City. I don't think you will, uh, even though Max Rose being a Democrat and running for mayor, I don't think will either of us will disagree with him on that one. But um, where it's where, actually the only truth that Max Rose told during the whole course of that that's campaign. Pro- probably true. But uh, where? How do you see? I mean, there's a number of big things coming up for 2021, aside from you know New York City local elections, uh, redistricting, obviously. But how do you see now going forward as we look to 2021 as the state chairman? How do you th- see things shaking out? Uh, congressional seat or, or maybe even two might have to go um, from New York. We're losing two seats in Congress. I mean, we were on the brink of two before the virus. I mean, we were only uh, we were we were standing in the face of. I believe if we lost 65,000 more people than the projection, we would be become the only state that actually lost two. Well, there's no doubt we've lost more than that since then. Um, I would be flabbergasted if we didn't lose two seats. So redistricting is high on everybody's priority list. We have a new um, independent redistricting commission where uh, appointments have been made uh, to that body. Uh, we have to see how that will deliberate. Our governor will not cut loose the funding for that process at this point. I think we've got a census that's very late, um, and it's going to be a struggle to get this all set for next year. Remember, the nomination period is now begins in February and ends in April. Um, without, I mean, so so basically a year from now, we got to be damn close to having those boundaries in place. Uh, I, I don't see it. Uh, I think it's going to be really, really difficult to move that ahead uh, under the current constraints that we 
uh, we face. But, you know, we we're going to lose juice in the Congress. I mean, New York is going to continue to fall. Um, you know, the, we we you know, we have to have leadership in this mayoral election. And I'm working with the, the five Republican leaders in the city of New York to try to, you know, put forward the best strategy, best candidacies possible, you know, in, in every one of these um, elections, whether it be city council, borough president or, or, or the, the, the big enchilada, the mayoralty. Um, it's, a, it's a heavily Democratic seat. I mean, it's, it's eight to one Democrat to Republican. But these extraordinary circumstances and what New Yorkers have faced, the, the strife they have faced, the, the sacrifice they've had to make uh, living through the pandemic, uh, on top of the fact that they've watched the city fall into lawlessness since the institution of the elimination of cash bail, where, you know, the homeless crisis has, has become a major quality of life problem. The, uh, the MTA uh, can no longer keep, uh, you know, the subways safe. I mean, the city is going to hell in a handbasket here. We need common sense leaders to come forward. And frankly, I don't care what party they're in. We need, this is about quality of the person that's going to go represent and govern the city. Um, the, the Democrat Socialists of America are going full steam ahead trying to take over the New York City Council. That would have national implications. Uh, you know, defund the police would probably be the least of our concerns if DSA got control of the city council. Uh, I know, so, uh, you know, a lot of people think Ray McGuire is 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 going to be the savior of the city. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm suspect anyone that has Valerie Jarrett as a senior advisor. But, um, you know, let's, uh, um, you know, we, we, we need someone that has business a business background, someone that could be the next great Republican mayor of this city uh, like Giuliani and then Republican Bloomberg did. Right. I mean, they, they made the city work. You know, they, they were capable managers of the city. You don't need an ideologue mayor. There's not a socialist way to plow the snow or to pick up the garbage or to keep the streets clean and safe. This is about management and giving services to the people that need them. This should not be a perch for someone to launch national ideological ambitions. And I think that many people are willing to strike back, maybe look at a Republican, you know, for the first time in, 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 in their lives and vote for them because they've just had enough. They're fed up. I mean, I know that there's a group on the Upper, uh, upper West Side that is just you know, there's 11,000 people that have joined their online uh, forum because it's gotten so bad. Yeah, because, well, I mean, the, you know, put homeless shelters wherever, you know, anywhere, neighborhoods and destroying neighborhoods, destroying the fabric of neighborhoods. It, it's it's quite imaginable. I should remind uh, people because we always talk about uh, Jewish issues. Uh, the DSA in their candidate questionnaire is the group democratic socialists of America, that it's a group that's has questions specifically. Will you pledge if you want to run for city council, not to visit the state of Israel? They singled out one country of all the countries in the world. They said, please, you must pledge in order to get our support, not to visit the state of Israel. Um, you know, uh, chairman, I, we only have a couple more minutes left, but can you just talk about how, where, how do we come to this point when, you know, it used to be kind of this for sh 
with certainty in New York state that Israel would be a unifying issue between Democrats and Republicans. And uh, support for Israel was kind of de rigueur for, for anybody who wanted to come into office. And now we have this loud minority uh, kind of shaking that relationship. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, I'm sure it's surprising to you, uh, even from coming from upstate where it's less, you know, sometimes less of a, 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 a hot button issue. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll revisit my own trip to Israel, for starters. It was a transformational experience for me. You know, as a Gentile from Buffalo uh, that really wasn't immersed in Jewish culture uh, at, at any time in my, you know, prior public career, uh, I thought it was an important step, and I'm glad that you and others encouraged me to go, Michael. And it, it allowed me to understand the conflict, to understand you know, the, um, how, you know, the, the Jewish people in Israel are, are in danger. And it used to be a thing where New Yorkers, no matter what party you were in, you were, you were a uh, unyielding advocate for Israel. And to see the attacks that have now become mainstream, I mean, it's nothing short of anti-Semitism. And, and to see someone like Linda Sarsour, who seems to get, uh, you know, she never goes away. She was part of the Democratic National Convention. I mean, these are, you are institutionalizing anti-Semitism. If this existed in the Republican Party, there would be hell raised like you've never seen. But because it's in the Democratic Party, the media turns, puts a blackout on it. You don't see any mainstream coverage or the fact that you have extreme anti-Semitism alive and well in the leadership of the Democratic Party. Uh, but, you know, when someone like Omar is is a national lightning rod that, that gets a platform and gets to, you know, uh, constantly attack uh, the state of Israel, it, it is um, it's going to become more acceptable down stream. And, and people like AOC, who's certainly no friend, uh, she's, you know, the poster child for this DSA movement in New York. She's going to find people that think like she thinks. They're going to try to start to plant them. And this is a warning. It's not just New York City Council. It's going to be town boards, village boards, city councils in small cities. They're finding these extremists. Now, it might be not in the name of DSA. It might be something else like, uh, you know, that indivisible movement. So many in the Hudson Valley, they were running municipal officials. You know, they're, they're trying to plant their little sleeper cells, if you will, within your municipal governments because they grow up and become big shot politicians down the road. We have to be mindful of it. We have to defeat these people at that level and stop this dead in its tracks. Anti-Semitism and anti-Israeli sentiment can't be accepted in New York state politics, no matter what party. That's right. And we will be, we will be calling it out left and right. Uh, I am a, you know, uh, I always was a strong supporter of Israel, but actually being there visiting and, and, and seeing things firsthand, you know, rounded out my worldview to a point that will be lifelong. Okay, and I, I encourage every elected official, no matter what party you're in, make that a very early priority in your service. 
Absolutely. New York State Republican Chairman Nick Langworthy. We're going to leave that note as a great note as the final word. Thank you for joining us here on Spin Class. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs. See you next week.